Welcome to the Abundant Grace Podcast, where we discuss the gospel, freedom in Christ, and victorious Christianity. My name is Emily Lewis, and I am so honored that you are here. Sometimes Christianity can feel complicated or become heavy. I'm here to lighten that load. I pray that the chats had on this broadcast will empower and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Hello, friend. Thanks so much for being here. It's so exciting to be recording the fifth episode for the Abundant Grace podcast. If no one was listening, if you were not listening, I would not be recording the fifth episode. So thanks for listening. Today we are going to talk about fear as a motivator and try to unpack why that is a subpar motivation and not the most valuable thing to motivate us especially in our relationships and especially in our relationship with God. I related to God on the basis of fear for years and that was kind of the foundation for my relationship with him. That and performance. But when it came to fear, I was afraid of judgment. I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of the tribulation. I was afraid of him coming back. I was afraid of him seeing me. And some of those things are very healthy to fear and can be a motivator. But I guess we can just say it right out from the gate that um, fear is a cheap motivator when it's held up to the light of love. Because love would be the chief motivator. Um, I want to be in relationship with God. I want to know more about Him. I want to learn about Him. Those now motivate my relationship with him and it's much sweeter and I can actually press into him and learn about him and draw closer to him and walk with him rather than uh, being afraid and trying to toe the line and do things a certain way and being fearful that he is going to get me (laughs) if I don't toe the line if I don't look a certain way or if I screw up He's not going to do that. And relationship with him is so much sweeter that way than if I'm on pins and needles all the time, wondering when I'm going to be make him angry like some ogre, right? That's not who God is. But that's the picture of God I had in my head. I just assumed that he was going to punish me for every little thing done wrong, which is crazy. Because that's not how he works. And if it really was how he worked, um, I would be getting it in the neck all the time. Because I'm not perfect for even an hour. (laughs) So there's no point in assuming that he's going to get me every time I do wrong. Or um, to even believe that is a little bit crazy. I love the place in Genesis where Hagar is in the desert. And God comes to her and comforts her. He gives her direction. I'm not sure that he gave her the answer that she wanted to hear. But the name that she gave God there was, Thou God seest me. And that verse used to, just like pulled out of context, Thou God seest me, used to um, incite fear and a little bit of panic in my heart. Like, oh no, God sees me all the time. What am I going to do? But that wasn't what she was saying there. She was in awe that God 
met her where she was and saw her and saw her need and answered her cry for help. God, you see me right where I'm at. And we don't have to sit in fear that he sees us or knows our weakness or knows our troubles. It can be and should be a very comforting thing to know that he's with us and can see us. It shouldn't be this crazy fearful thing that God can see us. He wants in on that. He died to redeem that relationship. And he knows everything about us already. There's no reason to hide any of it because he does see and he wants to see and he wants to be with us. So let that passage just comfort your heart like crazy because that's what it was intended and that's what she was saying about God. So let's first talk about why fear is preached as a motivator or wielded as a motivator or taught as a reason to obey. I think it has to do with, well, fear of losing control because when we don't understand grace and love and the power of the gospel doing in us without outside manipulation or forced, we take matters into our own hands and go, but how will I teach them to do right? Or how can I get them to serve if there's no fear? And I think a prime example would be with eternal security. If you believe that when you're saved, you didn't do anything good to earn it, and you can't do anything to lose it, that's called eternal security. But I hear a a lot of people right after someone gets saved, and they teach them eternal security. You can't lose your salvation. Isn't this gift amazing? The next thing after that is, but there's another judgment. You will be judged for your actions. You will be judged for your works because there's a lack of belief in the power of the love and grace of God. We immediately go back to fear being necessary to get people to do what what we believe they really should be doing. So the motive might be pure, but the mode is very wrong. So it has to do with controlling outcomes instead of surrendering them and letting God organically work in people's lives or even in our own. We can use fear as a way to control God as well. When we are afraid of his wrath, or his reaction to something that we do or don't do, we can begin to do good only for the sake of controlling his reactions. So there's a lack of surrender as well as, like I said, the lack of awe and respect for how magnificent God's love is for us. And fear, like I've alluded to, is a cheap motivator compared to love. So I'll give a a funny example. You could ask a question to a married person. Why would you never cheat on your spouse? And they could say, well, because they would kill me. Or, well, because I know my wife would find out and it wouldn't be good. Or I know my husband would be so angry. 
okay, so you're afraid of getting caught or you're afraid of the repercussions. But that's kind of a shallow motivator. And what would be a whole lot better would be to say, oh, I hope I would never consider doing that because I love my spouse so much. I wouldn't want to hurt them. And it's easy to see when we bring it back down to our earthly relationships, what things should look like. But for some reason, when we're relating to God, we almost complicate it. But his ways are not our ways. And his ways are so much higher than ours in that he really does just want to use love as a motivation. And not our love for him, his love for us. Because he loves us so much, I don't want to damage that relationship. He has paid so much just to be in fellowship with me. I don't want to damage that. So it's not about me mustering up extra love. It's about me recognizing how weak I am, how much I need him, and how fully he bridges that gap. And then I'm in awe and I want to please him and I want to keep those lines of communication open and not do anything to hurt the relationship because of love. And it it does turn into me loving him and that as a motivation, but the key motivator is his abundant love for me. You might say, well, God does chasten us, and you're right, he does. And the Bible talks about chastening and correction from God. But he is a very gentle father. He is not stern. He wants to gently guide us and lead us. And the picture of a shepherd comes to mind. Like There's no way that the shepherd is beating sheep. I have raised sheep. You can't, you can't beat them into doing what you want. It wouldn't work. You have to gently lead them. Uh, we would lead them around without a halter and just show them with our hands. And you could apply some pressure to the back of their head while you're walking them. But that was about it. You had to do it very gently. And there's a reason that that analogy is in the Bible. And God calls himself the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. Because he is guiding us along very gently. And when we do wrong, he is going to bring conviction to our hearts and he is going to show us a better way. And there may be consequences for our decisions, but this is probably a topic for another day. But I think a lot of our consequences are just natural built-in consequences to the way he made the world work more than him coming after you for a specific decision. So, Don't get me wrong, I still believe that there is chastening, but he is a very gentle corrector and a very loving father to us. And this might be a good time to mention that I I do notice how often in the Old Testament it talks about fearing the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I'm not saying anything against that, but I would challenge our definition Because he is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the almighty God. And he is holy and pure and has never made a mistake. And he's everywhere present. And space is not big enough to contain him. He doesn't exist in time like we do. That blows my mind. 
And it should blow our mind. And it should be something that we are in awe of. And it does incite fear. Like, who is this? And he wants relationship with me. And he came down in flesh to die for to redeem me. That is crazy. And that will have me on my face in worship and in awe and in reverence. But that does not mean I'm standing in front of him trembling and shaking. Because he loved me and he loves me. And he wants a loving relationship with me. And he could have done this differently. He could have set up this economy differently. This not money economy, you know. He could have set up the world to work a very different way. But he chose to do it through love and through grace and gospel and dying for our sins. So where do we go from here? If you have related to him on the basis of fear in the the past, I hope that this message was just an encouragement to you that you are not there anymore and that's not how you view him anymore and you have found freedom in Christ that was meant for you. But if you say, I fear God is coming after me. I feel like he is up in heaven just ready to rain down on me the next time I step out of line. If that's you, I will encourage you to press into the love of God. Perfect love does cast out fear. There is no fear in love. When you have that relationship with God that you don't want to damage or what he has done for you is so sweet and so special that you want to please him, you don't need fear. You don't need that as a motivation. So I would encourage you, read First John. Press into the love of God. Let it sink into your heart because it's something that you know in your head, but fear is also there. And in order to root that out, you will need to get love and the gospel and grace sunk down deep into your heart. It's not something you just believe. It's something you know at a soul level. I still have to remind myself often that this is a lie from the devil. He wants my relationship with God to be broken. He wants it to feel distant and wonky and off. He wants me to have a hard time relating to him. So this is absolutely an attack of the enemy when these thoughts start coming back into my mind. So this is something that I still fight and we have to fight it with the truth of God's word And sometimes I know that the Holy Spirit is fighting it for me. It's not just me mustering it up in myself. I can feel him saying, remember, I'm gentle. Or he'll quote me a verse and so graciously reteach me his character and who he truly is. And if this is something that you find yourself in the thick of working through, I would love it if you would send me an email, send me a DM. I would be honored to talk talk it out with you and or I am available for coaching. I don't want you to have to do this alone. It is hard enough to do in community with others and processing with 
um, people close to you. But especially if you feel alone in this, please reach out and I will do what I can to support you in this. I want to land this episode with some practical tips. Like I did in the beginning with that verse, Thou God seest me, that used to trigger me. I would encourage you to find or remember one of those verses that like pops into your head and it feels accusing and condemning and reframe it. Look at the context and then jot it down on a sticky note. Or if you're not ready for that, write down a verse that affirms you in God's love and grace. Stick it to the back of your phone, put it on your refrigerator. That way you'll see it and you can be reminded as you go throughout this process of remembering that fearing God and trembling and hiding from him is a lie of the enemy. While you're unpacking that and processing through that, give yourself a leg up, get those verses in front of you, and press into his love and his gentleness. Thanks for listening to the Abundant Grace Podcast. I would love to connect with you, either to hear your story or hear your comments on today's episode. You can find me hanging out on Instagram, emily.abundantgrace, or send me an email, hello at emilyklewis.com. That's emily, the letter K, L-O-U-I-S.com. Until next time, remember, God's grace abounds and won't ever run out.